0: So, I've been in a series called Uncle Sam's Broke, but you don't have to be. So, if you're an American, you have an Uncle Sam, right? Ever since the War of 1812, your federal government has been lovingly referred to as Uncle Sam. Just want to make sure you've been tracking with this sermon series. And he was made famous in 1917 by this portrait by a guy by the name of James Flagg. I love it. James Flagg made Uncle Sam. Okay, so this poster was used in World War I and World War II. I want you for the U.S. Army is what Uncle Sam said. Now, today, if Uncle Sam were to say something, what would Uncle Sam probably say? I want your money. Why? Because Uncle Sam is broke. Oh, good. You've been paying attention. So, I want to remind you of where we've been the last couple of weeks. So two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that you should be wise about debt. When countries and nations aren't wise about debt, it catches up to them. Uh, It was great. It's been great to hear some of our college students go, whoa, I'm making some adjustments with what I borrow. Uh, Last week, we talked about roads and bridges. Uh, The look on your face when I put up the pictures and statistics about America's infrastructure, I thought you guys were going to pass out. I mean, you just look panicked. And I suppose if you cross bridges a lot, you should be, right, given the state of disrepair. And so roads you have roads in your life, and sometimes you have hurricanes happen in your life. And, And so we talked about an emergency fund and how helpful that is to set aside money for things that have to be replaced and repaired and to set aside money for surprises that you're not even counting on. Well, today I want to talk to you about another part of what Uncle Sam does. Uncle Sam, one of the things that Uncle Sam spends money on is foreign aid. Yeah. Right now, because Uncle Sam is broke, eight out of ten Americans want Uncle Sam to stop helping other countries. Now, regardless of your politics on that, uh, I want to tell you a foreign aid story today. I love this story. So, way back in the 1980s, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, Uncle Sam had a, uh, had a uh, rival, and that rival was Russia. Soviet Russia. If you don't believe me, go on Netflix and watch Rocky IV. That will explain, <laughs> Rocky IV will explain the 1980s. You'll understand Reagan, the whole kit and caboodle right there in one movie, okay, Rocky IV. So Uncle Sam had this arch rival, and the two nations, the United States of America and the Soviet Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, they would each spend large sums of money in foreign aid because they wanted to give that to smaller developing nations so that those nations would become friendly to them and their interests. And the Americans did it and the Soviets did it. Now as irony or as fate or as history kind of unfolded, something terrible happened on the continent of Africa in the 1980s, a severe drought hit. And when I say severe, I mean apocalyptic drought. This kid is from the country of Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia in 1984 was ravaged by this drought. Now, Ethiopia at the time was a communist country, and it was under a communist leader. So, a BBC News team went in and filmed all these kids in these refugee camps in Ethiopia, and then the pictures were circulated on news programs and TV programs all over the world. And at that point, everybody in the world, including Uncle Sam said, we gotta do something, we gotta help those starving children in Africa. And they felt so strongly about it that all these famous musicians got together and made a song, and they did a big concert called Band Aid, get it? Band aid, and they raised a bunch of money to buy a bunch of food and medical supplies. And so we sent tons and tons and tons of stuff off to Ethiopia. Twist in the story Ethiopia at the time was ruled by this guy, Mariam. Uh, Let me say his full name Mengistu Hal Mariam. He was the communist leader of Ethiopia. Now all this U.S. aid and foreign aid is sitting on the docks ready to go to these refugee camps. Well members of his communist army and part of the communist party went into the docks, stole all the food, then took it into the refugee camps and sold it to the refugee families and these starving children and did so with this. Hey, You thought America was going to come in and help you, didn't you? You thought all these rich nations were going to help you. Who's here helping you? Oh, it's your communist friends from down the street. That's right. Don't forget that, okay? So they went in, and they sold what was supposed to be free stuff. you got to admire the ingenuity of these communists. If you think that's crazy, reports are beginning to surface this year in 2016 that ISIS or ISIL is taking humanitarian food and medicine dumping it into new containers and labeling it a gift from the caliphate of the islamic state do you know why they're doing that well because when your uncle sam sends out aid he labels it he's all about branding and your uncle sam look at that usda government from the united states and if that's not enough it comes in boxes that are stamped with this a gift from the people of the united states of america let me ask you a question imagine for a moment that you're not an american let's say you have grown up in syria or jordan your dad was a dentist your mom was a teacher you had the internet you played soccer you went to school only now because of all the chaos your mom and dad have both lost their jobs, you're in a new foreign country, your home was bombed to pieces, and you've got nothing. Wouldn't there be part of you that would expect some of these rich nations to help out? And I know some of you are like, nah, I wouldn't think that, Max. I wouldn't expect America to come bail me out if I'm a Jordanian citizen. Well, okay, let me me talk about things in Jessamine County. I've helped out a lot of stuff in this community food pantries homeless shelters um, backpack programs for kids project graduation relay for life at every single one of those meetings where a group of people have gotten together to plan something like that someone it's always somebody different but someone has inevitably said some version of this is rj corman helping out has anyone asked rj corman do you know why in every single one of those meetings somebody says and brings up the Corman name? Because in this town, he's the richest guy in town. He's dead now, but his, his company's the richest company in Jessamine County. It's almost like there's a latent expectation that if you're rich, you gotta share. I mean, it's ridiculous. And if that's not bad enough, let me convince you of this one more way. For those of you that are younger and you're teenagers, it's entirely possible that someday in your life you may be married. <gasps> I know, don't, let's not think too much about that. But for a moment, bear with me. Let's say it's 15, 20 years from now and you're married. And you married the person whose dad was the founder of the Dollar Shave Club. And he's pulling in $350,000 a month, a month. And so your in-laws decide you're gonna go on a cruise. Only when it's time to book everything, you've got to book your own tickets. You go on the cruise. You do all these excursions. Again, every single excursion is on your credit card, your debit card. And you get to the end of the cruise, and on the last night, you've had a great day. You've been ATVing, cave spelunking. You're there in this restaurant, and you're having an amazing dinner. And the waiter comes out and asks, how will the checks be done this evening? And your father-in-law has the audacity to say, oh, separate checks, please. Are you not telling me that when you get home, you are not going to light up your in-laws to everybody you work with, everybody who's a friend of yours? Now, you can't post it on Facebook because they're Facebook friends, but won't you tell everyone that you can tell? Let me tell you about my in-laws. And you're probably not going to say nice things. Where is it in the Constitution that rich people have to share? Where is it in the Bill of Rights, if you make over a certain amount of money, if you're making over $10 million a year, you got to share? Where is that? It's nowhere. Do you know where it is, though? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. The idea that those who have should share with those who haven't, it's found in here. If you brought one, would you open it up to the Gospel of Matthew? That's where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 6. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and following. And that's where we're going to be today. Jesus said more about money than salvation, heaven, and hell combined. Did you know that? Of the 38 parables that we have in the four Gospels, 17 of them have to do with money and possessions. Okay? So Jesus is saying something. Now, in my Bible, in my Bible, the heading for this section is called Teaching About Money and Possessions. Teaching About Money and Possessions, okay? So let's see what Jesus has to say. Verse 19, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys and where thieves break in and steal. Stop storing treasure here. Now, treasure is something that we value. Treasure, and because treasure is valuable, we keep it safe and secure. You may not realize this, but in the first century, Chase Manhattan Bank did not exist. Some of you are like, hallelujah, I wish they deregulate it now. Okay, well, let's remember, politics are outside. Chase Manhattan, Central Bank, none of those. So if you had something of value in the first century, do you know what you would do? You would go hide it in a field. Or when you were making a new wall in the house, a new mud wall, you'd put it inside the mud wall. Well, there's some problems with that. If it's fabric, linen, purple fabric would be very expensive, worth a lot of money. Moths can you know, go to town on certain fabrics, they love wool. Let me tell you how much they love wool. In my old house, I had like 15, it wasn't that many, it was probably seven. Seven, I, the numbers get bigger when you get older, okay? So it was probably, it was only seven sweaters, I need to be honest, it's church. But I had seven sweaters that Jenny got me from Scotland, from Scotland. That's across the ocean. And they were in my closet. And the next year when I went in to put the sweaters on, there's holes everywhere. And do you know what had happened to them? Moths. To this day, if you come into my house and a moth comes in the door, I go at it with a tyrannical, fanatic. I I get that, you know. And yes, I am disturbed, but there's a reason for it. And counseling didn't help. Okay, so, Moths, moths, rust, and thieves. Moths were the destroyer of things in the ancient world. Rust speaks to consumption and things getting eaten up. And thieves, man, you stole my money. And in in essence, Jesus is saying, yeah, storing up treasure here, that's no bueno. Let's go on to verse 20. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He's not saying, don't store up treasure. He's saying, be wise about where you're storing up treasure. Storing up treasure here on earth, that's a poor investment. You can't keep it safe and secure. And at the end of the day, you can't even take it with you. John Wesley put it this way. He said, I value all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. Only he said it with a British accent. Jim Elliot who's an alumnus of the college that I went to, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he knew the meaning of that verse. So Jesus keeps on, verse 21. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Why should we store up treasure in heaven? Because money and hearts are linked It's one of the things I want you to see today. What you treasure links up with your heart, okay? Um, Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, if you want to know where my heart is, don't judge me by how good a preacher I am or how many people listen to my sermons or how marked up my Bible is. You want to know where my heart is? Look at my checkbook. Open up Quicken. Check out my visa statement. That will tell you where my heart is. God is in essence saying in this verse, Jesus is articulating for us, look, I know your heart your, is gonna follow your stuff and I don't wanna compete with that. So when you surrender your stuff and your money and your finances to me, I'll have your heart. Money and hearts are linked. If uh, You already know this is true. I don't have to convince you of this. Ladies, in a few years, let's say you meet a guy and he's got a nice car. And on one of the, you've been dating a few times, you ask, can I, t- can I drive tonight? And he says, oh, uh, no, absolutely not. And then the next date out, you need something out of your purse, so you clunk it down on the trunk and you're taking things out, and he goes, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You're gonna scratch it. In that moment, right, you have determined something important. He likes you, but he loves his car. <laughs> right? His heart is linked with the car, okay? So you already know this is true, that money and hearts can be linked, right? Jesus fleshes this out in verses 22 and 23. He puts it this way. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body's filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body's filled with darkness. And in the light, you think, And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness will be. Your eye is focused on what your heart values. If your eye is focused on money and stuff, that's gonna flavor your heart. It has a tendency to make you a little greedy, a little stingy. If your eye is focused on God's kingdom, you tend to reflect the character of God, which is a character of generosity, all right? We know this is true, in a sense, because of what we expect from the rich people in our lives. R.J. Corman, he should be helping out. He has extra. He's rich. He's loaded. He should be doing something. Now, Jesus closes out this teaching with one of the most weirdest things ever, in my opinion. He says this, "'No one can serve two masters, "'for you will hate the one and love the other. "'You will be devoted to one and despise the other. "'You cannot serve both God and money.'" come on if you were gonna put the opposite of god the rival the chief rival of god wouldn't you pick like satan or santa claus or hitler or something right i mean wouldn't you pick well satan and santa have the same letters in them i don't know so wouldn't you pick something that would be more rivalrous of god a rival would you really put money and yet That's what Jesus says. In essence, Jesus is saying, yeah, the conflict that you're gonna have every day is are you gonna spend your life about your stuff and your money and trying to get God to help you out with expanding that? And maybe, hopefully, you you can pass on some good stuff to your kids and when they have kids, you wanna take care of your grandkids. Is that all life is? Is that what you wanna spend your life chasing after? Who's gonna rule your heart? Money, stuff, God, me? Who's gonna who's going to be your master? That's why he fleshes that out this way. You cannot serve God and money. I love the way the NLT puts it, and be enslaved to money, because that's what Jesus is really talking about, is who is your master? Let me ask a couple of questions, all right? In your life right now, what would you most hate to lose? I guarantee for those of us who are older, the stuff and money's already gone. It's usually people that we would put in that line. But what, what would you most hate to lose, and why? What do your thoughts turn to most frequently when you're free to think of whatever you want? Is your life stuff-centered or God-centered? And if we called in your checkbook and visa statement to testify, what would the testimony be? What would they have to say about it? look my nine-year-old daughter has a friend that lives in a neighborhood where the homes are easily twice the value of mine okay so the first time i took nine-year-old maddie to visit her friend in this neighborhood we're tooling into the neighborhood and she says to me you know what dad i'm like what maddie and then she names her friend so-and-so is rich i'm like really what makes you say that and she says dad don't be an idiot look around This is a rich neighborhood. She's rich. Are you blind? Maddie doesn't mince words, by the way. So I say to her, well, Mad, I hate to tell you this. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you're rich. You live in a rich neighborhood. And do you know what she said to me? I most certainly do not. Because in Maddie's mind, rich is more than what she has. Here's what I found. If you're an American, we are all trained to think just like Maddie. They've done studies, and they've asked people who make a quarter of a million dollars a year, people whose incomes are $250,000 a year, are you rich? You know what their answer is, the majority of them? Nope, I'm not rich. You know who's rich? The people that are making millions. Well, they ask people who make a million dollars a year, are you rich? (laughs) Do you know what they say? Nope. (laughs) It's them billionaires, man. They're rich. (laughs) We're all looking up the food chain, and we're determining based on the fact that there are people who are making more, we're poor. But here's the other thing I want you to see today. Right? Rich is more than what I have. On this world right now are roughly 7 billion people. Right? That's the population census right now, 7 billion. Of those 7 billion people, 3 billion of them live on $2.50 or less a day. That's $913 a year. So let me connect some dots. Assume for a minute that God's real, And not only is God real, but God is everywhere all the time. God sees everything there is to see and knows everything there is to know. When God is looking at you and me and then looking at everything in the world, when he's looking at us, what does God see? Can I tell you? Rich people. He sees rich people when he's looking at us. A few years ago, I started changing how I read the Bible. And when I see the word rich or rich people, I substitute my name. It's been a very helpful exercise. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone like Max Vanderpool to enter the kingdom of God. True that, true that. So what's the antidote to this? I'm just gonna be direct, it's generosity. It's generosity. That's a big antidote. There are ways that you can take steps to not serving your stuff. I'm going to tell you to be generous, to give. You already know this because when you look at rich people, your in-laws, the people that you know that make a bucket load of money, you expect them to be generous. The problem is we're always looking up and we're never looking in the mirror. And it never dawns us on us that there might be other people in the world or even in our own community who look at us and are like, hey, why aren't they more generous? So what are, what are some practical ways you can do this? One, uh, first and foremost, be willing to loan out things. This is a big litmus test for me. I love kayaks. I do. I love my boats. I loan them out. Max, isn't it likely that one of them could get wrecked or get a hole in it? Yep, absolutely. Some people don't know how to treat them right. I loan out my cars. Isn't it possible they might wreck it? Yep, true that. (laughs) Uh, I learned this early on in my life that if I wasn't willing to loan something out, it usually was an indication that that something had power over me, okay? So you know yourself and whether or not this will help you or not, only you can decide. But be willing to loan things out Secondly, tip well. On behalf of all of the servers in Greater Lexington, tip well. Some of you need to go full Pentecostal right now. Glory! Preach! Listen to this man of God! Okay? Tip well. The worst day of the week for anyone who hosts and serves tables is guess what day? Sunday! This should not be the case. We serve a generous God. We should not have, and in the restaurant industry, it's not a lot of church-going folks on the whole. It's rough work. It's hard work, okay? Tip well. I'm just saying 15% is a good place to start. Christians should be good tippers, not poor ones, okay? Secondly, or thirdly, pay extra, you have somebody who's babysitting. You agreed on, you know, $20 for the night. Give them $25. The look on their face will be priceless. What? You're only supposed to give me $20. I know. Just wanted this. I have house cleaners that come to my house now, and we have an agreed-upon price, and I, and I add $10 to that amount. And the first time, they were like, what is that? And I said, well, that's like, that's a, I had to deal with Max Vanderpool fee, and it's assessed anytime you have to deal with Max Vanderpool. So I'm I'm sorry that the fees include it. And they're like, no, no, it's great. <laughs> okay? So there a lot of babysitters, house cleaners, people who are in business for themselves, you're not making some fat cat on Wall Street richer. You're helping a neighbor. Okay. Stop looking up and start looking down. That's the fourth, fourth thing you can do to be generous. Um, for the longest time i would go on distribution day on the food pantry uh and the reason i went on distribution day is that when i would get into my 1998 mercury when it was all done i was like man i have a nice car <laughs> okay so again it's perspective and look for ways to help in all the circles i travel in jessamine county i don't hear people saying to me You know, Max, we got a real problem. People are too generous. I mean, there's too much money going to good causes here. It's creating this culture that's really bad. We need to stop it. Tell people to stop. I don't hear that at all. So Jesmond County could use some love. Last but not least, I'm going to tell you to give back to God a portion of money and stuff. I'm going to suggest 10%. Some of you are like, that sounds like tithing. I know, it does. It's exactly what it is. Why do I suggest 10%? Well, I have a few reasons for that. One, it's easy math. If you got a $1,250 paycheck, you just move the decimal point and you get 10%. You know, $513, just move the decimal point. That's all you're doing is moving the decimal point. A fifth grader can do it. Let's be honest, there are some second graders who can do it too. (laughs) Two, it's 4,000 years old. Among church-going Christians, I get the whole, well, it's grace and not law, and this is before grace and law was ever an issue. This is before Moses came down from the mountain with the stuff on the tablets. This goes back all the way to Abraham. There wasn't a whole lot going on then, okay? Lastly, uh, don't worry about gross or net. You're like, I know couples and people that'll fret over that. Just pick one, pick one. The, the, The goal is to get moving, And then give what you've decided first. I love what Mike Lesage says. He says, you know, when I'm tithing and giving my acts of generosity through the local church and other places, I write those checks first. I make those payments first. Because if I do the reverse, it always seems like I never have it at the end of the month. He said it's the weirdest thing, okay? So I want to answer some common objections, though. I know when it comes, you know, because I'm a preacher, right? Right? You would expect me to stand up here and say, Give money to church. And I know that there are a lot of churches out there that have really, really, really made things hard for all of us. Because, uh, and so I want to answer these objections. One objection is Well, you know, all they care about, all the church cares about is money. Not this church. That may be true in other churches, but not here. It's not true here. Want to know how? Here's several reasons. You have a finance team that has two men and two women on it. They don't have a clue who gives what. Nothing. They're flying in the dark. All they know in a given month is maybe 25 households gave. That's it. They don't even have a breakdown of who, you know, the households in terms of. So in in the idea that people are going to give deference to big donors and step on people that don't, that doesn't apply here. And I can tell you over the years that There have been families and households that have gotten huge amounts of ministry time, face time, attention, that didn't put a dime in the offering box. If this church, all this church cared about was money, we would operate a lot differently than the way we do. We'd probably even pass an offering plate. Have you ever noticed we don't do that? (laughs) Okay. So while that may be true in other places, it's not true here. Second objection, the pastor leaders are just getting rich off of other people's generosity. Again, that can be so true in other places. Last year, the highest paid employee of this church made $30,000. All the employees, all three of them combined, made $48,000. Some of you, you personally are making more than that, or your household makes more than that, and that's all the employees of this church. So I would say to you, while it's true, there are some pastors and leaders out there that are getting rich off of people's generosity, It's not true here. Not true here. Last but not least, they waste a lot of money. Look around for a minute. (laughs) Look around. Look around. You are sitting in a golf course that has seen its better days. If you don't believe me, go to the men's restroom. Now, if you're a lady, please knock before you go in today, okay? (laughs) But just go into the men's restroom here. It's a Yes, it's. Ugh, I cannot. The ladies are like, I want to see it now. Okay. <laughs> it's bad. Okay. We don't. You're not sitting in $350 movie theater seats. This isn't a multi-million dollar worship palace. This this outfit. We run lean. Uh, Generations Community Church tries to be generous. We actually tithe on our church's income. So whatever we get. We send out 10%, only this year we've made a big mistake because we're sending out 14 or 15%. <laughs> it went up, and we're like, that's okay. And it goes to places like the Jesmond County Food Pantry. Our contribution for the Jesmond County Food Pantry is somewhere between 10 and 20% of their budget for the year, our little congregation, okay? So again, while it's true that you could be in places that waste a lot of money, it's not true here. I say all that because I simply want to make it remove any of the objections that you might have to being generous, to starting something. For those of you that have never considered this before, think about it. Talk, if you're married, talk about it with your spouse. Maybe we should do this. Maybe he's right about the whole heart and money thing. And it's not just me that's saying it, it's Jesus, all right? I, wanna, I want to remind you of this. It really isn't about the money. It really is about your heart. Because think about this with me for a minute. If God's really real, he's really all-powerful, if he wants your money and stuff, he's just going to take it, right? (laughs) Zap, right? (laughs) If there's an all-powerful God and what he's really interested in is your money, won't he just take it? (laughs) God knows how we're wired and how our hearts are wired and he wants us to love and serve him and he knows that one of the biggest ways one of his chiefest rivals is to be rich and not realize it and to be stingy it's no coincidence that the nations of the world that where there is the least receptivity to the gospel of Jesus Christ are always the richest nations in the world it's not a coincidence right right I want to close out with simply what Jesus has to say, okay? Hear him. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat and rust destroys, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body, and when your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But, your eye, but when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money.